This is the most fantastic story I've ever heard. And every word of it's true, too. That's the fantastic part of it. Didn't you really feel so bad because killing him felt so good? And why shouldn't it feel good? You must feel good to God. He does it all the time. Bring some of this, Michael. Be one of us. Is that uh, absolutely necessary? Yes. What did he say? He's, he's afraid it is. Ah, oh, fine. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. You see? You see? Your stupid minds. Stupid. Stupid. Kill your brother. You'll feel better. White lines in the middle of the road. It's the worst place to drive. Okay, welcome to another episode of the Cult of Classics. It's time to turn the TV off, head straight to your room, and make as much noise as you want, mm-hmm. because it's Time Bandits, the Terry Gilliam classic. How you doing, Liam? I'm doing well, you know, aka, uh, joined me by uh, Murder on the Streets. <laughs> <laughs> aka, joined me by Young Rapscallions. Yeah. All right, so Time Bandits is a classic film in my life because I used to go see my cousins up in Atlanta pretty much every other weekend um, when I was a kid, and they had three uh, movies on VHS. Princess Bride. Nice. uh, Willow. Classic. And Time Bandits. Never saw it until this weekend. But it is also a classic. And so I used to know all of these three films, like, line for line. And while I will say that over time... Time Bandits has not grown to be my favorite. My favorite, I think, remains The Princess Bride. Yeah, It's hard to touch. Yeah. It's hard to beat that one, but Time Bandits still has a special place in my heart. For sure. For sure. And so with that, the film was made on a meager $5 million budget. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was raised in part by George Harrison, who was a friend of, of Terry Gilliam's. Of the Beatles, the Four yeah. Beatles. <laughs> he was in the Four Beatles. Yes. And who mortgaged, he mortgaged his office. And I think the, the kind of the most successful thing that this movie does is it kind of rides the line between a film made for kids while remaining fun for adults, which is is can be difficult to do. Yeah, yeah. I think Terry Gilliam's style is is well suited for that. Like, especially in this movie, he really treads the line between serious, sincere, like fantasy, and sort of like tongue in cheek, like slightly headier comedy yeah yeah and that you're like you said that that is what uh he in particular but the monty monty python as like a whole troop we're always really good at yeah um just doing great sight gags and on the nose kind of humor mm-hmm. so to start us off uh act one our protagonist kevin is sitting with his parents while they bicker over the joneses and how far behind they are while watching a game show called Your Money or Your Life. And I, I my note here was Big Dope because <laughs> I th- I really liked that uh, moment. And I think it's one of the first moments in the film that kind of tells you how to watch the movie. Because I, yeah. uh, I was talking to, to my friend Jay about this uh, the other day. And we both are of the belief that uh, a film will tell you how to watch it in the first couple of shots. And it'll kind of say, hey, this is what I'm about. That's a good philosophy. And this film is, and Terry Gilliam in particular, is really about how uh, destructive capitalism is to mm-hmm. one's personal happiness and how 
it kind of robs you of the real important things in your life. Like yeah. for parents spending time with their kids yeah, or, you know, your life versus your money yeah. to be the most blunt. Um, yeah. yeah. It's really on the nose with like just how, the, the, how, how strong it goes at the message immediately. Nice little cameo from Jim Broadbent. He, he pops up here and at the end uh, from like the borrowers and Moulin Rouge. And um, he's just a, he's a, he's an OG. I like it when he pops up in anything. He's terrifying here. Your money or your life, like just immediately Terry Gilliam's really good with space. Like he, is it, it's part because he dresses his sets so intricately mm -hmm. and so and so with so much detail, like not just attention to detail, but so many details in general. Yeah, like, he just throws it all against the wall. Yeah, and it's it's it really achieves this like crowded space where these you just feel how stifled these people's lives are, and you see from like the the two people playing Kevin's parents, like you really get a sense of how neglected Kevin is, yeah, and and how like droned out and zombified his parents are, right? Because you look on the back wall in their kitchen, and it's just like you said, every inch is occupied by some uh, whiz bang or doodad, mm -hmm. and <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and no, I, li I like yeah. it, I like it, I like and, it, and. Uh, all they are is all she is is like talking about how like you know the Joneses have yeah. a faster whiz bang and theirs does it in yeah. five seconds. They or, need a newer yeah. thing that can turn uh what turn to what turn water into beef bourguignon yeah. in eight seconds instead yeah. of fifteen. Yeah, yeah. So Kevin gets sent off to his bed and like told not to make any noise, which, <laughs> which uh, he can't he can't fulfill that promise because yeah. a knight actually jumps through. The dresser and his room. out of that dresser. like yeah a whole a whole horse and 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 again these are all practical effects so like a horse really did jump out of the dresser yeah and apparently it took him like a month to train the horse to be able to do it um <laughs> so it took a while and yeah that really happens and then the horse and the knight kind of charge off into the forest yeah and of course then he gets a lot of trouble fast forward to the next day he's at the dinner table and he's like hey you know fucking knight let's I'm gonna go to bed. Yeah, I'm gonna go to bed because right like this this should happen. And it's like, and he and Kevin's got a plan. And Kevin's got an idea. He's got a plan. He's got a uh, he's got a little flashlight. But yeah. his parents only really care about buying stuff and watching their little show, Your Money, yeah. Your Life. Which the, the second time go around, you actually get to see someone die. Yeah, in the show yeah. because like he's submerged in like tapioca pudding or something, <laughs> and like the, it, it's really like it, it's really hard. It's really hitting that theme super hard i mean kind of in the background but like hitting it super hard from from the get-go but kevin also like it's it's really wild to me his parents performance like the way that they the way that they're written in this scene in particular the way they they speak to him like where they're just like it's got to go down yeah yeah it has to go you have to make sure that goes down like talking about his dinner like he's yeah. like you've got to wait for it to go down i was just like are you is he is this like a, a sickly animal that you're being forced to foster? Like, what is right? What is this? It's just like his parents just obviously don't care about him. Their parents, is, I mean, their only thing is like cash rules everything around them. Huh. Uh, Kevin, this sets up for Brazil, y'all. Da 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 da. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so, and again, th th this is a really big touchstone if you follow Terry Gilliam because he really wanted to make Brazil at this moment, but he didn't have any money. Mm -hmm. So he made this film to get some money and some cachet. Yeah. To make Brazil, some cash. Which he does some cash. Um, some cash. Yeah, 
Shay. So Kevin goes to bed armed with his flashlight. His horrific parents are doing their thing downstairs. And then the time bandits bust in, a.k.a. young garden angels. <laughs> um, Randall, Fidget, Strutter, Og, Wally, and Vermin. OG Wally. OG Wally. Absolutely. Yeah. A lot of these guys um, did a lot of stuff. Um, uh, Randall did the most, I think. But yeah. So this ragtag crew, we quickly learned, has stolen the map from the Supreme Being. And this is kind of where I see Act 1 ends. Because... Zod from the Power Rangers bursts into the room <laughs> and he's like, give me back what you have stolen. And yeah. it's really cool. I mean, this is a really great uh, example of like the classic like 80s special effects because it's like a big air cannon with like um, fog or smoke shoots out with a bunch of like paper mache shit to make mm-hmm. it all look really. And it still works. It's still it like it looks scary. They shine a huge light through the fog and and make their big floating head. And they they push. I always love this. They they push a wall in Kevin's room, and yeah. like they push, push, push. Kevin helps because I mean, what else is he gonna do? There's a giant head <laughs> floating behind it's him. Get eaten by God or yeah. follow the dwarfs. Yeah. So yeah. And then they they fall through, and now we're in Act Two. We're in the adventure yeah. of the Time Bandits. And just a quick aside, um, one of the things a lot of people have noted about this film, and I agree with them, is that the choice Terry Gilliam made to have uh, Kevin's co-stars be little people was really important because it allowed for adults to be in the film, which allows for adult humor and um, interest from older people, mm-hmm. viewers, without them being kind of uh, his protectors. Yeah. And always, you know. He still has that agency that he does. that's necessary for like a child to be the protagonist of a fantasy story. Right. And we'll see throughout the film that he is the most clever. He is mm-hmm. the the most uh capable He's the strongest. member. Yeah, yeah. He's you know. It's his and it's still that's it keep, it's it keeps it Kevin's story. Yeah. It's not just Kevin tagging along with a team of like interdimensional cuz if these like angels, garden angels, beings, whatever they are, um if they uh you know, if they were full sized I mean, what would Kevin do but be an annoyance to them too? Yeah, and there was there would be no real incentive for them to keep him around. Yeah, he would be just following them instead of taking on more of a, or, or able to take on more of a leadership role as they as they progress as as the story progresses too. So he's this allows Kevin to drive the action forward and keeps it in that realm of a children's movie while opening up that adult space for Terry Gilliam to especially with his dialogue. So just a really really. Uh, good casting choice and production decision. So give credit where credit is due there. Yeah. Um, all right. So the first place they land is uh, a battle um, that Napoleon has just successfully won. Uh, Napoleon being played by Ian Holm. OG. Who is an OG. It's nothing but hitters in this movie, yeah. first of all. Like, <laughs> like for the whatever weaknesses there are in Time Bandit, they have nothing to do with the cast. No, no, It's no. nothing but hitters. Everybody is showing up. Everybody's doing an amazing job. Yeah. Like, everybody's acting their dick off and, like, doing a, a great role. Even, even, like, Ian Holm, John Cleese, and, and Sean Connery are probably, like, the three biggest... Uh, cameo appearances. I'd say, yeah. I guess cameo are like supporting appearances. Probably. I think Sean Connery at the time is, is the biggest actor for sure. Yeah. Cause he's off. I mean, he's, he's, he's done bond. He's done all of his bond films at this yeah. point. I mean, yes. like Ian Holm is a dope, but you know, we, ain't, we ain't Bilbo yet. No. Um, and, uh, John, I mean, John Cleese is the, this is after 
the Monty Python guys have had some success with their movies too. So John Cleese is just like, oh, I'm popping the fuck off. Yeah, I mean John Cleese, <laughs> yeah, he he's, he crushes the game. Yeah. Um. So Napoleon, uh, <laughs> is watching a little like vaudeville performance, and he enjoys the Punch and Judy section of it because they're smaller than him. And you mm-hmm. quickly learn that the that the the running gag with uh, Napoleon is that he is just so concerned with his height yeah. and he only, it's all he cares about. Like literally his generals are saying, Hey, they're trying to surrender and he doesn't give a shit. He's like, I just want to watch the little puppets yeah, hit each yeah, other. Yeah, yeah, and then when the little puppets leave, he gets very angry <laughs> and he's like, I need a little thing hitting another little thing to the so, point where you're like, are you capable of doing any of the yeah. things that you did? <laughs> or, like what is this insane fetish? Because it is, it is at a cr- crazy degree. And you know, when I was a kid, this joke was so funny to me. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. I, this was so funny to me. You know, as I'm an adult now, I'm like, you know, Napoleon really wasn't even that short. Yeah, uh, it, maybe he was concerned, but I mean, you know, Napoleonic complex has been coined. Yeah. You know, maybe he was concerned about his height, but like he certainly had a little more depth than this. <laughs> but but anyway, the our our time bandits managed to with a performance ingratiate themselves to him become his generals and then get into his dining hall one of the worst performances i've ever seen ever the, <laughs> the this was that was i mean like I, I i i took it in stride but it was really honestly very hard to watch like their <laughs> their little their musical number oh yeah yeah they, that, well i think they did it bad on purpose yeah no like I think they were so. off key like they were oh for sure for sure i mean there's no way that yeah that was these are professionals i'm you know yeah. they could do a fucking musical number there is no universe in which that is anybody's best effort but right. like it is it's intentionally bad and it crosses the it crosses the line of being uh funny about two seconds in you're like oh yeah okay so terrible so oh, bad very yeah. bad awful awful <laughs> i hate it but then they're like we're gonna do the whole song <laughs> they do the whole song. They do the whole song, and Ian Holm is transfixed. You can't even tell his mood while he's watching. No, he seems for a little he seems while. Seems angry. I I, th- I don't wonder. I wonder if they were just like if they were going to have Ian Holm react favorably to them mm-hmm. at first, but then they were like, no, it'll it'll make everybody watching this movie incredibly angry for him to be reacting like well <laughs> it was i think it was like we were watching someone see like his his zenith <laughs> like the perfect sunset had just occurred in his life and he was just almost angry that every moment before this and after this could never <laughs> could be never as perfect be again yeah, yeah. So that's my interpretation of his look yeah but anyway he gives this really great performance where i mean the dialogue is again very one note of just him comparing talking about the shortest great conquerors in history mm-hmm. and but his performance is really good and he like it's a great riff yeah he gets into it like his face is like wet and kind of like sloppy yeah and he's just kind of sloppy he just like passes out right there at the table and then the, the bandits rob him blind mm-hmm. there's a little chase um a little chase they get they get right on out it's not really a big deal they're like y'all really can't keep up with us y'all are just mold <laughs> dumb alums I will say though, for me, this is the lighting wise, the worst section of the film. I felt uh, not, I'm sorry, not the worst, the second worst. The, the worst is when we get to Agamemnon later mm-hmm. and the performance they give there because they, this ain't the only time they give a performance. They're going to do that again. Yeah. That's kind of their, one of their go to tricks. Yeah. They get much better though as the movie progresses. Yeah. They but, stop singing. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
but the, I, I do I do want to make note that like this this did look like they lit it just with a blindfold on <laughs> in five minutes and we're like we we have we all are about to get married we don't have any time to light this scene like they just mm-hmm. rushed it um well this is where we have the coolest or one of the cool door effects though that we see we see yeah it. I love the door effect the door effect still works yeah the door effect still works and it's, it works differently it don't really the only time that like the the wall pushing effect from the when they're in Kevin's room at the beginning of the movie is really cool, but it's really the only time that the doors work like that. Mm-hmm. Like the rest of the time, they just kind of like either it happens off screen or they jump through one of these like square door shaped portals, which are dope to look at. I, yeah. The square door. I think the the first door is the best door when they push the wall. Yeah. But this is uh, one of the best doors. There's a, there's some bad doors later. Yeah. At least one really bad one that I remember. Um, so then now they fall into the middle ages where they've got this love struck couple right before they fall. We get to see this like conversation between this love struck couple, mm-hmm. uh, which played by uh, Shelly Duvall and Michael Palin. Yeah. And uh, Michael Palin is, you know, they're, they're talking, but they keep bringing up like his condition. Yeah. Which feels like a ED joke. Yeah. His problem. I was like, what is it? I was like, is this just, we're just making an ED joke that has to fly over kids heads. So. Yeah. But then later, um, when he's tied up, he's like, my condition. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, do you TT yourself? Is that the condition? And she's just like, are you you sure you're going to be able to get married and not TT yourself? You TT yourself. <laughs> Either that or he's just like, you know, stimulated. Yeah. And his name is Pansy. I thought her name was Pansy. Or Pan- that's right. Her name is Pansy. Her name is Pansy. And, and he said Pansy. And then her name is Pansy again later on. Pansy. They're recurring characters. Yeah, they come back at the Titanic. Yeah. Too. But only at the Titanic, which yeah. I, th- I found funny. Yeah. <laughs> they, their scene is actually still really funny. Yeah, they're both guys. Shelly Duvall is eating it up. Like, yeah. she's hamming it up. Michael Palin's doing a great job. They're, they really are are very funny little scenes. Nothing. <laughs> no, no, no criticism for that, really. So the gang gathers up their stolen goods and they get kind of grabbed by who we can't find out is Robin Hood's band of merry men. Mm-hmm. Um, the leader of his merry men, I guess that's little John, but he's got like the scarred up face and a really thick accent that no one can understand. Spittle John. Spittle John, except for his other little nasty spittle man who yeah. can understand him. But really what happens here is that, um, John Cleese shows up yeah, yeah and John yeah. Cleese really steals the show. Yeah. Like he is tremendous. Um, there's that great little line where he's asking them all how long they've been robbers for. Yeah. And then, uh, one of them goes like four foot one. <gasps> jolly good. Jolly good. He's like four foot one. <laughs> Awfully long time. Yeah. They, he then, you know, politely is like, okay, cool. All this treasure you have. Yeah. He's, he's like, thank you. Very generous. Very. Yeah. They're like, what? He's like, well, what to give to the poor. Yeah. Like, this is my whole thing. (laughs) (laughs) He takes the treasure from them. And the best part about this whole scene that still was funny to me is that every time he hands this line of poor people (laughs) a piece of treasure, Spittle John punches them (laughs) at full force. But before he punches them, he is just like wide eyed (laughs) staring at each one. As they come up in line, and about the second or third one, I think like a woman is up, and like John Cleese turns to him, like just like the audience, he's like, "Is it absolutely necessary for you to do that?" He's and he's like, like yeah. 
And the other guy, he says some mumble shit, and the other guy's like, I'm afraid it is. Yeah. Like, I was like, okay. Okay, well. And then John Cleese keeps handing, every time he hands him a piece of treasure and says congratulations, and yeah. then they just get knocked the fuck out. I think this is Terry Gilliam just being like, even though it's Robin Hood, this is still capitalism, and I'm still going to show, like, yeah. you, you get to come up, you get punched in the motherfucking head. There's a price. Yeah. There's a price for everything. Yeah. <laughs> He's just like, I can't feature Robin Hood and give people treasure without making it a bad thing technically this is this is a really great moment that i think you need to kind of have creative freedom because i don't think a producer at the time would ever have understood this is a joke if you explain this to somebody it doesn't work it's there's no you just have to be able to make it and show it and you're like this is fun this is this is funny i mean this is like monty python this is their shit Mm -hmm. you know they had you know john cleese plays the straight man in this one and then it's really great. It's yeah. it still works. Spittle John's eyes. Spittle John. It, it, that's what does it for me. Yeah. Is the way he's staring at them <laughs> before he punches. You see the little old lady walk up. This is a wild-eyed heathen, just like I <laughs> 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 just cannot wait to punch you in the face. He's like, you gonna take this with that treasure? He's like, we gonna change your life. He's like, imagine if Oprah had one of those. Whatever she gave, like a car. Yeah. It's like we're about to change your motherfucking life. Right. We also about to. Bust some teeth up. We're gonna, change, we're gonna change that bite too. Yeah, we gonna fight that shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that guy, that took me for a second. Hold on. Yeah. All right. Anyway, so they run off. Oh, they. I think they get caught in uh, a storm yeah. for a minute, right? And yeah. then that's. This is actually. I, I skipped this in my my little write up, but this is the first time that we see evil genius, the evil genius. Yes. Like 30, 40 minutes into the movie, yeah. we meet our antagonist. Yeah. Our, our second attack. Cause yeah. I, I think, I think of God or sorry, the Supreme being, AKA Zod, AKA big floating head. Yeah. yeah. AKA as, the wizard. AKA the whiz. Yeah. It, as, um, good morning, get on down, get, get on, on down the road. <laughs> as, uh, you know, well, I don't know what I'm saying, but he, he, he's the, the, the original antagonist of the movie. Yes. This is the devil yeah. is now here, and he has a great little uh, shtick with his with his little henchmen, where yeah. uh, it's pretty funny. You know, he's like, you know, he's like, you're a supreme being. He's like, well, why? He's like, I'm the smartest person in you know creation. It's like, well, why can't you figure out how to get out of the tower? <laughs> zap, zap, kill your ass. <laughs> Someone else, you know, he's like, I'm the most powerful. It's like, well, why can't you do this? Kill your ass. <laughs> he's just like, oh, if that were true. How come he created you? you? Yeah. <laughs> he's just like, oh, it was out. Yeah. <laughs> Don't feel like answering that. Goodbye. Yeah. So he's he's really funny. And he starts to mind control, I think, Og. Mm-hmm. Um, and his plan is to tell them to, to because he needs the map. Because with the map, he can escape from his tower that he's been trapped in, which I assume is kind of like hell. Yeah. In, in a sense, um, his tower that he's been trapped in by the Supreme Being since the beginning of time. And with this map, he can escape. So he, he's like he tries to lure the time bandits in with uh, the promise of the most uh, valuable object in the world. Yeah. Um, but Kevin is like, "Hey, shut that dumb shit down!" He's like, like, "Why are y'all always trying to get treasure? What right? You, what you doing?" Yeah. So then the time bandits end up going off to their next destination, and they have to do it in a hurry. I can't remember if they're being chased by someone. Uh, yeah, they are. They end up being chased by, I can't remember who they're being chased by, but they're, they're running and then two portals open up. Two portals open up. So Kevin is separated from the, the, the garden angels. And there's a funny little line where Kevin's like, which one do I take? And they're like, it doesn't matter. Just pick one. 
Yeah. He takes one. They're like, not that one. Not that one. It's like, okay. Well, <laughs> he asked you, and y'all were the <laughs> yeah. dumb ones, but okay. But then what we really get is a dope part of the movie because Kevin drops in on a battle between Ag- King Ag- Agamemnon, played by the late great Sean Connery, and a Minotaur. Yeah. Um, actually, it, it got me a little choked up seeing him again because I hadn't seen Sean Connery in a film since he passed, and mm-hmm. I had forgotten like how um, magnetic he was on screen and like how like you know powerful he of an actor he was. Oh yeah, dude. Like, I mean, like he, I I know as he aged at all, it became all like, like a joke. Yeah, and you're everything. the man now, dog. Yeah. And like we, like you know, we finding Forrester did, and yeah. we like we 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 Zardozed it. Yeah, and but like John Connery was a insanely popular movie star for a reason. Like yeah. he's a good actor. He's very handsome. He's got some 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 screen presence. Like a motherfucker. Like, right. even, I mean, this is after Bond where he's like, he's slightly older, the hair is gone, the, the, he's, he's bearded up. But like, he really does a good job. Like, he, he really does. He really, t- and he really takes it, like, he's playing um, in his paternal role as Agamemnon for Kevin. Kevin, he is really endearing, like, yeah. with almost no lines. With really. almost no lines and, and lit, I would say this, the lighting of him after this, Minotaur scene is criminal in a couple of places. I think yeah. it, I think they did such a poor job lighting him that it, it does kind of make me a little angry. But um, <laughs> the fight between Agamemnon and the Minotaur, uh, Agamemnon and Sean Connery is saved because of Kevin. But the fight's really good, actually. Like, it's not yeah. bad. Like, the way it's shot, they, they do really well with sound design in this film. So, like, when he's, like, swinging that giant club and hitting the shield, like, yeah. you feel, like, the impact and, and, like, the dust knocks off of it and you hear the ringing of the of the metal. And, like, that's that's really good. Yeah. So It's effective choreography, just, too. Yeah, good shout-out to, to just doing something. Like, that's not your forte, yeah. but doing it well. Um, Shout out to whoever designed the Minotaur too, Minotaur too, because like I mean, it was just a guy in with like this cow head mm-hmm. on, but like the cow head was like rotted and scary, yeah. and the yell, the sound design for the Minotaur's scream was really good, and it reminded me a lot of some of the early fights in Gladiator. Like I was like, y'all watch, y'all watch Time Madness before you make Gladiator. You know that they used that head in Gladiator. Really? Yeah, I, that like, that head was used as a prop in the film Gladiator. That's what's up. Yeah, I, I was just like, this was. They do some gladiator, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. They, they took that. So, I mean, they might have taken some of the choreography and just maybe inspired by Time Bandits. It's a very influential film. It's it's done well over time. So, what basically happens is like what you alluded to earlier is Agamemnon and Kevin become this like father-son dynamic. And yeah. And he, you know, Kevin gravitates towards Agamemnon. Sorry, just I'm just call him Sean Connery. And like he he wants to be his son. He doesn't want to leave because why would he want to go back to his like shithead parents when yeah. he could be with like fucking Sean Connery yeah. and be like a little prince? Yeah. I mean, Sean Connery, he's like, you don't want to go back to your friends? He's just like, eh, nah. Yeah. He's like, what about you? You don't want to go back to your family. And Kevin's just like, no. Oh, no. 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 I'm, I'm cool right here. I'm good. And then Sean Connery immediately is like, well, fuck it then. Fuck it then. We stay in here. You, my son. Yeah. Um, then when right after Sean Connery announces that, um, he uh, there's a little banquet uh, to like celebrate, you know, his killing of the Minotaur, and he announces Kevin as his son, and that's when Randall and the Time Bandits 
put on their second performance, and this time they do this little like shuffling, almost like Russian doll, like yeah, nesting doll, sort like of a magic routine. Magic routine where they end up like pulling Kevin up and then taking him through a portal. Yeah. By the time like Agamemnon even realizes they're gone, they're it's way too late. Yeah. Oh yeah, he's having a great time the whole during their whole show. Yeah. So, and uh, Kevin is really pissed off when they do that. So yeah. like he lands on the Titanic. And they're living the high life, enjoying their chilled champagne when Kevin lets Randall know like that he is a dick and that shit so far has not been cash money <laughs> at all. He's at like, all. you have been stealing. You stole from my daddy mm. or the dude I was about to be my daddy. Yeah. I was happy there. You just do whatever you want. You stole me. You're selfish. Like you're, you're a real shitty guy. You're yeah. a bad, you're a bad dude. Yeah. And you know, Randall just like, this is what we always deserved. Way to bring the champagne extra ice and then boom we get some nice uh we get like the inside of the ship starts rocking yeah we see it's the titanic and then we get some nice little stock footage super sped up of the ship sinking <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah 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 so it happens really quick they were just like we hit the iceberg we in the water and then once they're in their water that's when the evil genius played by david warner mind controls another og mm-hmm. um mind controls og for the second time uh, and he's like, let's get the most viable object. We have to go to the land of make-believe. I can't remember what they called it. The land of legends? Land of legends. Better than the land of imagination, which yeah. I was thinking. It's still tight. <laughs> like the kazoo kid. Yeah. <laughs> but they managed to get into like a, a, like a, like a whirlpool situation. Yeah. That, um, then they do like a, this was a really interesting transition. Yeah. This, well, interesting is a good nice word for it yeah i guess it, it really doesn't work anymore but at the time maybe it was pretty unique but it's like this reverse like negative art negative color uh little effect um anyway they kind of fall through the ocean i yeah. guess in a weird way and it's cool i'm fine with it and they end up it's a little experimental for like yeah. a mainstream fantasy movie it's it's definitely weird it's for sure weird yeah it's for sure weird but it's kind of cool you ever want to see something really weird go watch uh, Baron Munchausen, like he makes like two or three movies down the line after this mm-hmm. when they go to the moon and Robin Williams is the king of the moon. Yeah. And his head flies off on like a giant saucer. It's weird. <laughs> did Terry Gilliam do the Fisher King as yes. well? Okay. Yeah. He did. He had he he had some standards. Like I was noticing the the guy who plays uh Wally in this movie and I, I, it may be some of the other guys who play the the Garden Angels. Jack Purvis. Jack Purvis. I mean, he's he's a pretty prolific actor. He was in a bunch of Star Wars movies. He's in like every Terry Gilliam movie yeah. though, too. I noticed that he's like Terry Gilliam used this dude all over the place. He's in Brazil. Mm-hmm. He's in Willow, and um, he's in The Adventures of Baron Munchausen. So he was. Yeah, he was Gustavus. Yeah. yeah, the one that could like he had like super lung power. He could like blow super hard. Yeah. He, um, yeah, he was the biggest and the strongest of all the little people in this movie. Like mm-hmm. he's, he like, he could probably whoop Kevin. Not that that's important to the story, but, <laughs> but you just know, know that that's where my money goes. <laughs> just know that if I'm picking a fight between <laughs> all the members of the time band, it's Wally is, I, I put it on, yeah. put it on any odds. I mean, he's just got a good, he's got a good face. He's got like a hard face. He does have a hard face. He looks like a, like a, a lumberjack. Uh, I believe R.I.P. Yeah, R.I.P. Yeah, yeah, R.I.P. As of '97, but I mean, he had a really he had a great career. 
I just and you know, I, I don't know why I got so into Jack Purvis, but I was just like, I like this dude. Let yeah. Me look, let me look up everything you've ever done. <laughs> <laughs> what they they land in the land of the legends, and the first uh, magical creature they run into is an aging ogre played by Peter Vaughn, another. Yeah. OG, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, who has a bunch of ail- ailments, uh, and he's um, kind of being nursed to health by his wife, Catherine Hellman, uh, who is just kind of a normal-looking woman. Mm-hmm. She doesn't look like an ogre, which I think that which they talk about a little bit on the trivia page about how that's a was a distinct choice that they made. I think after screening, mm-hmm. they they just it worked better, which is cool. I, it doesn't bother me at all. Um, but anyway, they, the ogre, uh, Peter Vaughn captures them in a fishing net and then he's already like, she's like, should we eat their boots? And then wife's like, no, let's eat them. What the hell wrong with you? And he's like, but my bad back. And she's like, just roar at them and scare them until I get the pot ready. Yeah. But Kevin being the clever boy as he is tricks the ogre mm-hmm. by being like, Hey, I got a solution for bad backs. And they toss him off the boat. Yeah. And they turn out, they do help us back. They do help us back. Yeah. They, you know, they inadvertently. His, yeah. They kind of stretch him a couple right. times and then they toss him over. I mean, lucky it works, but really they were going to toss his ass <laughs> regardless <laughs> because he was trying to kill him. Uh, uh, I also, I think this is the best like lighting of the film and my favorite set design of the movie. The ship looks really good to me and it, mm-hmm. it is, it is lit. Everyone's face is like lit evenly. I can see everyone's face, yeah, yeah. which is important to me because, I don't know why I'm just weird. I like to see my principal <laughs> like, actors. And like to be able, to I like to see their face. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> unless it's like a really dramatic, important reason to not see their face. Yeah. But anyway, uh, they Give also Tarver's rule of thumb. <laughs> they get into a big old pot and they knock the wife over. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they and that is cool. The and then anyway. Shit gets real, real yeah. when you know they're like, okay, we got rid of the ogre, and then boom, shakalaka, big baby sloth, big baby, puts them on the top of the head, and a giant titan, giant man, yeah, carries their hat like a ship. I'm sorry, their ship like a hat, yeah, 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 on out the ocean, and and a giant is a is a big boy, yeah. He's a he's a big one. I was just like, oh, okay, big man representation, big in the Terry man movie. I was like, hey. And this still works, dude. You look like me. Yeah, it's a good it's a good look, dog. Like just with perspective, sound design, mm-hmm. shake, miniatures. Miniatures, like it works. It really does, especially yeah. when he comes up like on out of the ocean onto the the land and he crushes like an arguing family of elephant people, mm-hmm. which I think is from like um the life of Brian or something or it, they 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 are referenced at another point, yeah, uh, in another Terry Gilliam film. But that's really cool because there's like a, it's like they're having a family squabble, and then like as the giant is slowly walking and he just like tramples them, he just and that's it. Doesn't even notice. And again, they're stuck on top of the giant's head. But Kevin, being clever, mm-hmm. finds the ogre wife's sleeping potion, and then like a mosquito, kind of like delivers the juice to big boy by like yeah. poking him in the head. Yeah. He puts it. It's like a, it's like a, what does that like, thing? Like, like the a fire stoker. Bellows. Yeah. Bellows. Yeah. But with like a, a long sharp attachment on the end. Yeah. I don't even know. They just, they jam that thing in his head. Yeah. And they put him down, put him to sleep. Then they get away and they manage to navigate to the evil geniuses lair. Um, and they smash their, at first they're, they get very angry because they, they get, they can't see it. 
Yeah. Because it's apparently it's coated in like glass. It's an invisible barrier. It's an invisible barrier. And they start arguing and they get into a real bad fight about how big of a piece of shit Randall is. Yeah. And that's kind of like, and you know, it, this actually was the cast really being mad at David Rappaport because he was an aloof dick uh, to the other <laughs> little people on set because he was sure that he got his role completely on the back of his acting skill and not the fact that it had nothing to do with the fact that he was a little person. Yeah. Which is, you know, silly to think that, but especially, I mean like he was the best actor of the crew. I mean, there's no yeah, doubt for sure. He's, he's a good actor too. Yeah, like he, he is a good actor, but he, yeah, just to be like, I, I got this just because RIP again. Yeah. RIP. But like, it's like I, my being a little person had nothing to do with this except that it was a requirement for the role. For the role, it's like, come on, man. Yeah. I mean, like, just, just be confident that you're a little person and a good actor. A good actor. Yeah, you can be both. And uh, I'm sure he, you know, he blazed the trail for people that followed, like Peter Dinklage, and so yeah. David Rappaport uh, throws a skull at them, and that kind of, it's like it's not clear whether he throws it at them or he just throws it away. But he breaks, he shatters the glass, and they go inside, and they're greeted by an evil illusion of the the, the host of Your Money or Your Life mm-hmm. and Kevin's parents. They're separated by this super tall labyrinth. The super cool labyrinth, yeah, yeah. which is dope. Um, and, again, great use of perspective and space here. In fact we get into what we're about to get into is, is the opposite of like a cluttered set where he uses negative space, like really, really well. Yeah. Um, so Kevin's like, Hey, y'all chill, but they all run the time bandits being dumbasses rush forward and are all caught. <laughs> Kevin's like, damn man. So they get put up in cages by the evil genius who's stolen the map. Yep. And then once they're in these cages, this is one of the negative space I'm talking about because these cages, like these metal cages are like dangling, from rope that I don't know where that rope actually leads to, but they're dangling in like up. an abyss. Up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. A rope leads up and it is a big ass rope. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is a really good scene because it is scary. Uh, for it's them, super scary. it's tense. Um, it is tense. And, and the plan they devise requires a lot of like acrobatic maneuvering. Yeah. To, they, they basically cut rope from the rope holding their cage, tie it to one another and then, swing forward to the next cage, grab on, and then let the next one swing behind them to the next cage. Yep. So, like, first of all, they are incredibly strong. Yeah, yeah. I mean, really so strong of of will and of grip. Yeah, the grip strength is on Gorilla. Like, yeah, on grip, Gorilla. The grip strength is nuts. <laughs> Especially uh, your boy, uh, Wally. Wally. Is the, is the leadoff yeah, man. Yeah, Wally's like, mm. He Wally. just grabs on like a little koala bear. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's not going fucking anywhere. So they managed to escape, and they go in, and I think they grab the map. Uh, from the evil genius who is turned the evil genius for some reason turns one of his fully it's, functional like walking talking seeing hearing henchmen into a dog yeah it's a cool D- dog mostly as a flex yeah <laughs> but he's like guard you guard the map yeah and then they're just like ah a dog very easy to distract and they distract the dog they, they distract the dog they go and get the map this was kind of one of the silliest things to me like this this the the mechanism they use to get caught again to get noticed is like they send, I forget who it is uh, that goes in and actually retrieves the map. Fidget? It might have been Fidget. I, I don't think remember. it was. Maybe it was Og. Maybe it was Og. But like 
there it seemed like something was missing here because he goes and gets the map and then instead of just running back over to them he spends like 45 seconds like folding it up in different ways right right and right. they're like they're like throw it throw it and it's just like why didn't he just why didn't he just walk right back over to right where he just walked from and then like they all run away and then he's just kind of like twiddling his thumbs looking around like waiting to get caught i'm like we didn't have to do this yeah. if this was all planned why why oh. could he just have and then the evil the evil genius who is upstairs realizes what's happened some for some reason just yeah. now i was just like this was clunky. It turns him into a pig. Yeah. It was clunky. This whole thing was clunky. I forgot to mention this, and this is very important. Right when they get put up in the cage, Vermin straight takes a chunk out of a rat. Yeah. And that shit is wild. <laughs> this shit used to be so wild to me as a kid. <laughs> like, he just grabs, like, a big-ass rat yeah. and just bites his, I think, his head off or, like, a big chunk out of its back. Yeah, a big piece of it. Yeah. And he's, like... Like, offers it to people. He's, like, hey, might be the last meal you get. It's like, Vermin, you is wild, dog. Vermin's like, I've been out here for a minute. <laughs> yeah, like, I would <laughs> never try that, man. Ever, 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 ever. <laughs> anyway, uh, one of them gets turned into a pig, and the evil geniuses, the evil genius uh, sends out these cow creatures, like these cow They're skeletons. They're so terrifying. They are, me. with a giant, like, hook hand. Yeah. Like, they have, like, a bone hook They're for, like, like, a hand. They're, like, giant floating, like, they're very tall floating, like, they, they look like, like go like dementors almost they do but with cow heads and then they have this super long hook that's like it's not even sharp it's just like a shepherd hook almost yeah, but to they like just, grab you but they just grab at you with it like he does like the terry gilliam really made a scary space with mm. like the the evil geniuses lair because it's like it's like everything is just concrete and flat and dense and there's no rest for your eyes anywhere uh, like there's no reprieve it's just this like one like all imposing concrete that's yeah. just bearing down on you the whole time it really it feels like a prison made out of like concrete lego blocks yeah and it's very and everything's too tall it's like everything's too big it just seems like there is no escape it's really he really did a great job like creating this sort of claustrophobic menacing environment um, and then the, you add the hook cows on top of it and I'm gone. I was scared. <laughs> you were <it's> scary, especially <laughs> as a kid. And, uh, so they, they get cornered and they're face to face with the evil geniuses, evil genius who, I think this is where he turns one of them into a pig. That's right. Right. Or did he had already done it previously? I think he does it. I think he turns him into a pig. Maybe it's here. I, I think it was remember. right here because this is what makes Wally like lose his shit. That's right. And like lose it. But da, 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 to save the day is like comes through all the toys that were in Kevin's room. And I forgot to mention this, but like at the very beginning of the film, when Kevin is in his room for the first time, you see a bunch of toys. Yeah. And this is a trope you see in a lot of films like Labyrinth does it. Um, and all yeah. those toys. Or no, they go, they split up. They split up. That's right. They, they split, split up. up. And Homeboy's already a pig at this point. Yeah. Um, but they split up. Kevin and the pig distract the cow people so that the rest of the time bandits can go and get the toys. And then they That's all come right. back in riding the toys after, like, it seems like we are at our impending. But, but, but to be clear, they didn't actually get toys. They, they, no, they get, come back with they the get fucking like tank. tanks, <laughs> machine guns, <laughs> like fucking. You know, Greek warriors and uh, lasers. Cowboys. Cowboys, like all sorts of stuff. 
And then this fight scene is really cool. Like they do, it's really creative, like how the evil genius defeats all these weapons. Mm-hmm. At least some of it, like when he like expands like a pin cushion, yeah, and stops yeah. the arrows and then shoots them back. Yeah, and the, when he does the carousel lasso to, he turns himself into a carousel basically to kill to, the cowboys. To kill the cowboys. Yeah, this was really. This is like a, a fairly unique to Terry Gilliam style yes. too. Like yeah. this, you really he 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 is the master of that sort of odd scary but truly bizarre mm-hmm. like fantasy element yeah you're right he is um it looks like it's over for him they've used everything they can he's red light like hits his face he's like r- the camera's coming up under him and it's like you know he's about to zap him and they're done then suddenly mm-hmm. blast your dumbass supreme being comes and turns him yeah. into a rock well, let's not forget that young Fidget gets crushed. Oh, Fidget gets crushed. That's what triggers Wally to like lose yeah. his mind with rage. And that's how you also know that Wally is the strongest one because yeah. like it's very clear that these people actually couldn't hold him back. Yeah. When he's like pushing <laughs> up against them, it's like y'all couldn't hold him back. Like no, Randall no, no, and Kevin no, no. try to hold him back. And I'm like, bro, there's it's so clear to me that he could bust out. Yeah, if Wally wanted time. to bust through y'all, he would have busted through. Yeah, because like so Wally, the, the one of the evil geniuses theme, one of the motif with him is that he is all about technology, which lends itself into the evil ways of capitalism. Like that's the evil genius is obsessed with, with technology. He's learning it from one of his henchmen. Yeah. He's learning, he's learning like about car phones and computers. It's like, it's, it's very funny, but it's like, it was also funny to me how in 81, Terry Gilliam was calling like computers becoming one of the, you know, most significant forces for evil in in humanity, which like, Oh, surprise is true. (laughs) Like, um, he, uh, he he takes control of the little spaceship that Wally is in. Right, 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 and right. And then forces Wally to shoot down a co- a big stone column, which lands on Fidget, and that's when Wally loses it. Yeah, you're right. It was very. Uh, that's some of the best acting scene. in the in, in the whole movie. In the whole yeah. movie is when Wally gets upset. Mm-hmm. It is, and um, Jack Purvis. Jack Purvis, <laughs> and then once the spring being comes. He uh, he taps that ass so quick. He kills him instantly, <laughs> turns him into rock. And I can't, this actor's name escapes me. Could you pull it up real quick for me? Uh-huh. For the Supreme Being? Yeah. Um, he's he's fantastic, too. Ralph Richardson. Yeah. Again, another OG um, who I've, you know, seen in a million things, but can't remember at the top of my head. Uh, he's, in, he's in Dr. Zhivago. Oh, yeah. That's right. Um, he, I think he was also in, I think he was in the original... Um, Tales from the Crypt, like uh, like back in the day, 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 like the oh, first and Watership one. Down. Um, Watership Down is another uh, movie that has a, a kids movie that has a really rough ending. Yeah, um, just like this one will, as you'll see in a minute. But anyway, he has this really great little comedic scene where he's you know he's like, okay, I'll take y'all back. He 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 brings a uh, fidget back to life. Yeah, only after Wally asks about him. He's yeah, because like, he immediately is like, oh, I'm back to work. And the, all the time bandits are like, yes, yeah, sir, I'm sorry, I'm so <laughs> yeah. sorry, I'm so sorry. Yeah. Like, then Wally's just like, wait a fucking second. Yeah. Fidget is fucking dead. <laughs> are we just going all, but just, we just like, okay, God's here, but we're not going to even talk about our dead friend. And then he, he's like, ah, 
well, that's no excuse for laying down on the job. Yeah. <laughs> and brings Fidget back to work. And then Fidget immediately helps too as well. Yeah. And Wally does too. He's like, thank you. Sorry. Yeah. And, and they all just like leave Kevin. They're just like, fuck you, Kevin. And he's just like, we just had all this adventure together and they just dip on him. Yeah. And they're just like, oh, can we please have our old job back? Yeah. And he's like, all right, well, you get, you know, you're going to take a pay cut, backdate this is the beginning of time. Yeah. And your ass is going to be in the shrub department now. Yeah. Instead of making like. And they're like, thank you. Sorry. Hey. Eddie, please. <laughs> and then I just can't believe they did without Kevin because he's like, hey, what about me? And he's like, you ain't, you know. Yeah. Kevin if wakes up. Somebody says he deserves a reward. I think yeah. it might be Fidget. I think yeah. Fidget might be like, hey, we, you know, like, Fidget's like the only real one that doesn't want to leave him. And he's like, yeah, you know, Kevin, he helped us. He, we, he, we needed him. Yeah. And then uh, the Supreme Being's just like, oh, well, sure, whatever. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> He does explain to him like, "Hey, don't touch that the, no, no, no. the pieces of <laughs> of the of the evil genius because it's pure evil." Yeah. And while he's explaining that, one of the pieces like roll has rolled under a tank and is giving off this like yellow smoke. So mm-hmm. like as time bandits who really left your boy high and dry and Ooh. the supreme being dip off, the smoke is like billowing around Kevin, and it's pretty scary. It's Kevin, then we do like a match cut where like, Kevin wakes up mm-hmm. in. Back smoke in back in his room his room's on fire he's getting rescued by a fireman and he pulled outside his house had caught, caught on fire yeah and then at this moment you're thinking ah it's a wizard of oz everything was like a dream but fuck no because <laughs> who's one of the firemen but sean connery agamemnon agamemnon yeah and you're like well he's just a dude that looks like him maybe kevin had seen him and just that was part of his dream yeah no because First of all, he looks at Kevin and gives him a wink. Yeah. And then skidding rinks off. And then Kevin pulls out his Polaroids because he's had his Polaroid camera. He's been taking pictures the whole time. Oh, oh, guess what? Mm-hmm. There are all the pictures, but Kevin's just not in them. Yeah. Um, but he has all the pictures. It was for real, though. It was for real. And then the final confirmation that it's for real is the fireman's like, hey, looks like you left the Sunday roast on. And then they say, but it's Tuesday, isn't it? <laughs> Tuesday, isn't it? And when this is all after they're arguing about, like, you should, her, his, the, the wife is like, you're, you would have been, if you were a real man, you would have gone in and gotten our toes, saved right, our toes. Right, right. They're so, con- they're only concerned, like, their, their son has just been dragged out of a burning yes. building and they're concerned about what possessions they are losing because of the fire. So, so what happens next doesn't bother anyone because, they open up their little microwave thing and Kevin recognizes the piece of pure evil. And he's like, don't motherfucking touch that. Yeah. And then they just look at him and it's like, whatever and touch it. Both explode. Yeah. And then that's the end of the movie. But, <laughs> but the end. The, 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 what happens credits, <laughs> what happens is kind of cool is the camera pulls up and I don't know if you notice this, but if you look at the smoke in kind of people's hands, you can tell that the footage is playing in reverse. Hmm. And you're like, but he's walking forward. So Terry Gilliam was very clever and had him walk backwards so that when he plays it in reverse, Kevin's walking forward. Oh. But go back and look at the smoke. It's sucking back up into the ground. That's pretty wild. Yeah, it is wild. And it it serves uh, a higher purpose, too, because Terry Gilliam bookends his films. So the opening shot of his film is always the closing shot. So at the beginning... He's rolling up the map. Yeah. He uses the same animation, but in reverse yeah. to roll up the map and then go away. Those And those animations are tight as fuck. They are. They I are really, really tight. I really enjoyed those animations. They were like, I was like, ooh, welcome to the 80s. 
So I think it's a cool ending, and it was like a real big shocker for a lot of people. But it turns out the kids loved the ending. Yeah, they loved that the parents exploded because the because he made the parents so clearly shitheads. Yeah. So like once you're old enough to recognize the parents are shitheads, then you don't care about them. Yeah. You know. But like you know, Kevin's reward is to be homeless and without any guardians. But hopefully he gets he's better. You know, he might be better off anyway. I think Kevin is going to do really well in life. Yeah, Kevin's fine. Maybe that's the the gift and maybe that's like Terry Gilliam's message is like hey if you strip away all these comforts and stuff like you grow up hard and tough yeah. and you understand real <laughs> values and you're not concerned materialistic possessions yeah oh because you know you you Kevin has had the opportunity to be unbelievably wealthy throughout his adventures and yeah and he's declined it at every turn he wanted to stay with he wanted to stay with Robin Hood event originally he wanted to give up you know and stay in in a time with some of the least riches granted with the king but like yeah in a time with like zero technology and 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 you know not even fucking indoor plumbing right with Agamemnon and like you know it, it is at the end at the ending is a little like on the nose but yeah it's still, it's wild. It wilded me out. I was like, oh, damn. That they, were, like, actually did that. Yeah. But, on, but again, you, like you said, his parents are sh- such shitheads that I was like, good. Yeah. Fuck them. <laughs> good. They still don't care about their son. He almost died in a fire. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's a wild way to end a movie, but it's, uh, it's definitely effective. You remember it. Yeah. So I think this is a classic Terry Gilliam film. Um, it get the unorthodox ending gives it an edge. Uh, give it gives it more of an edge than most children movies. It's kind of like a Rosetta Stone for Gilliam's critique of consumerism, which he later kind of masters in Brazil. Yeah. Um. So you know, I'm a fan. I think it had bold choices, great set design, um, and a really great cast. Uh, I give it a seven out of ten. Tarver ping pong paddles. Nice. Yeah. I mean, I, I I'm a fan of it. I think the storytelling is good. There's there's a lot of really outstanding performances. Um. And just like Terry Gilliam movies, it's it's just it's hard not to be engrossed by them and just like fully encompassed by them when you're watching them. It's like it's it's hard to to you can't not pay attention to them, right? Um, so just on the basis of that, I'm I'm a fan of of all of his work anyway. Um, but it, it's a little bit too long. This runs or it feels a little bit too long. Like there's just a little bit to we we. I think we're a little indulgent in some of the jokes that push the movie out to feel like it's like it's almost two stories. Like it's almost it's like the beginning of story with Kevin and the Time Bandits, and then there's like the secondary story with the the evil genius. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, it's not it's not that bad. It's not like it does. It's not like it drags, but right. it's just a little bit too long. There's a couple things that could have been cut and wouldn't have changed the movie that much. Um, but when you, you can be a little bit more indulgent when you're doing a, a comedy like that. So uh, I give it, you know, nine out of 14 Fliberty uh, Fliberty jibs. And uh, that's a very fair rating. And I'm 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 a, I'm a fan. All right. Well, thank you. And this was another episode of the Cult of Classics. Let's get Leo.